0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, June 20th, we're studying Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. In Miletus, Paul addresses the Ephesian elders for the final time before he departs for Jerusalem. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor James Sharp. Pastor Sharp serves through the LCMS Office of International Mission as pastor, teacher, and missionary in Montevideo, Uruguay. Pastor Sharp, welcome to Sharper Iron.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Pastor Sharp, tell us a little bit about your work there in Uruguay.
1: Well, my wife Angie and I are missionaries here in Montevideo, the capital of Uruguay, and I work as a pastor and church planner and theological educator, helping the Lutheran Church of Uruguay to plan new churches and identify and train new leaders that will hopefully get into training programs to be both lay leaders and also church leaders as uh, pastors and deaconesses. My wife is a Lutheran teacher, and she teaches at the Lutheran school here, which is called St. Paul Lutheran School. Uh, She teaches math in English. It's a bilingual school. So uh, we're here with our four kids. Uh, Elias is 16, Ambrose is 14, Callie is 12, about to turn 13, as she will remind you, and Maggie is 11.
0: God be praised for your faithful work there, strengthening the saints and spreading the gospel in, and I know we talked about this before, Uruguay? Is that how we're, we're going to say it?
1: Uruguay, 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 people say it a lot different. Here we say Uruguay.
0: Very good. <clears throat> Very good. I've I've been working on pronouncing all these names here in the book of Acts, and it's one of the modern countries on which I struggle now. So that is the Lord keeping me humble. <laughs> Pastor Sharp, we get to we get to study Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. As we prepare to look to this, it's a long address that we're going to hear from St. Paul here. What's the context within the book of Acts we should keep in mind as we prepare to take a look at this text today?
1: Well, Paul is traveling to Jerusalem. And he's been in in various places, and now he knows he has to go to Jerusalem. He's being compelled by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And as he goes to Jerusalem, he is uh, stopping along the way. And here he stops in Miletus, and uh, he calls to him the elders of the church in Ephesus that he had planted and spent so much time uh, in. And this is kind of his, his last address, maybe even you could say like a, a last will and testament, it's his farewell address to these men whom he had trained and spent so much time with.
0: What, what's the significance of this text within the book of Acts? You and I were talking about this before we came on air, that this is a pretty key text. What are we going to encounter here?
1: It is. It, it's a very important text. It, it, it's kind of a strange text in in a certain way, because in the narrative of acts which is a narrative history uh, this is a very doctrinal statement it's like a summary of paul's teaching which makes sense this is farewell address and, and i think we both as as pastors can understand that if this is your last chance to leave someone with pe- with something that you're going to sum up all your teaching and the very important things that you want to leave them with and it's also kind of unique because Although we have lots of speeches from various apostles in the book of Acts, including from Paul, this is the only address that we have recorded that Paul makes to a Christian audience as opposed to speaking to Jews or speaking to uh, Gentile non-Christians. So it's it's kind of unique in, in all of the book of Acts because of those reasons.
0: Well, let's go ahead and and read the text, and we'll we'll study this wonderful text that we get from the lips of St. Paul today, recorded by St. Luke. We are in Acts 20, beginning at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. That is our text for today. That's Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. Pastor Sharp, verse 17 gives us the context. They're in Miletus, he calls to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Give us the, the setting, remind us of Paul's relationship with the elders in Ephesus?
1: Uh, Well, they're stopping in Miletus. Miletus, how are we saying that Uh, And while we're asking how to say things? uh, Sometimes I forget how to pronounce things in the way that we pronounce them in English. Uh, So uh, I think I'm going to say Miletus, if that's okay. Um, Miletus was a very important port city. Uh, It had been an important port city for hundreds of years. It was one of the primary cities of the Greek diaspora, sending colonists all over the Mediterranean, the Black Sea. Uh, It was the home of really the birthplace of Greek philosophy. Uh, Men like Phales and Anaximander and Anaximenes and and all kinds of other cool named philosophers, uh, really where philosophy was born. And it it sat on this peninsula sticking out into a bay, kind of tucked behind the, the island of Samos. And because of that, it was a, a very good location. And so there was a lot of trade, a lot of people going through there, a lot of wealth. It had become an ally of the Roman Empire before it was incorporated in the province of Asia and the Romans had, had helped it all. So it was an important city. Uh, and it was not too far from Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of on the other side of the bay. And Paul specifically says, if we we can jump back into the to the previous verse, he specifically says he doesn't want to go to Ephesus because he was hurrying to get to Jerusalem. He wanted to get Jerusalem before Pentecost, and so he decides to take a ship that would skip kind of the the, the normal route and and would go uh, from Samos, the island of Samos, to Miletus. But he was able to send for the elders to come down from Ephesus. Ephesus is about forty miles away. You can take a boat across the bay, and that makes the journey a little quicker. And so it, it was reasonable. I, I do this all the time. Uh, when we were on home service, for example, like you know, we if I know I'm going to be in the area, and I, I see that some friends of mine might be there, uh, we'll meet up uh, somewhere in the middle. Or uh, we've had supporters who have come. Uh, to see us when we're, when we're kind of close, but we can't quite make it. And Paul's kind of pulling the same thing here. He, he didn't have time to stop in Ephesus, possibly because he was worried he would want to stay longer than he, he needed to. And he really wanted to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost
0: you mentioned as we were getting started that this is the the only text in acts where paul gives uh, explicitly he explicitly addresses a christian audience right. and they're specified even further that these are the elders of the church it's, i think it's always helpful to clarify that who are the elders of the church
1: well they're the pastors uh, and we'll we'll see later a very important uh, verse a very important text for our understanding and doctrine of doctrine and ministry but that's it's it's the elders that he had appointed or raised up while he was in Ephesus, to, to really to be his replacement.
0: All right, so the elders have come to Paul in Miletus, and he's going to address them. That's the bulk of the text for today. How does Paul begin his address to them? How does he, he start with this farewell speech or sermon?
1: Well, he talks about himself, really, which is, I guess, not <laughs> not what you're supposed to do. But he says, you know how I I lived among you. Uh, you know, with humility and with tears, he, he shows that he wants to remind them of how he conducted his ministry, that he he did everything above board, I guess is a, a good way to say it. And, and he's not ashamed to appeal to this, uh, his own personal conduct to affirm his ministry yeah. among them. And so he, he tells them, you know, you know how I lived among you. He is confident in the way that he behaved himself as as an apostle and as a church planter there in Ephesus and so that's the first thing he starts with is telling reminding them how how he lived his ministry among them
0: so um, you you said you know, you're not supposed to start that way but he does, but he does. and i i think I think sometimes this this does strike us as as odd or unusual, and, and maybe particularly as pastors, although probably not only as as pastors, we we want to testify to our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul Paul does this elsewhere. I recall, I think it's in his letter to the Corinthians, the first one, where he says, "You know, imitate me as I imitate Christ." Right what are we to make of Paul using himself as an example, and, and not only here, but later in this same speech?
1: Well, I think Paul would use himself as an example of both law and gospel, you know, of, of sinner and saint. You know, oh, yes. not not imitate me in my holiness, my personal holiness, but but imitate me as a forgiven sinner who's been called into this ministry and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit conducts this ministry as best as, as I can. So I, I think that, you know, you have to take those in, in context of Paul, obviously knowing that, that he is a sinner, you know, he said he's the chief of sinners even, and, and that he didn't deserve to be called an apostle or measured among the apostles, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? And so that, that's really what he's saying to them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I find that very helpful, the reference especially to 1 Timothy, the you know, chief of sinners verse, that that's, that's part of the example of Paul, and we should not, should not forget that. So he, he begins to recount his ministry there in Ephesus. What are some of the things that he brings to mind that he wants them to recall?
1: How he was humble in his ministry, how he shed tears for them uh, in his ministry, and, and that could be tears of, of love for the Ephesians, uh, of the the affection that he had for them as a a pastor and apostle, or even tears of pain from the suffering he went through. And he mentions that, that there were a lot of things that happened to him, the trials that happened to him, he says, through the plots of the Jews. Uh, But that even going through all of those things, he never shrank. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you uh, anything that was profitable. Uh, He doesn't hold back anything, Uh, even though he knows or he had to have known that some of those things were going to get him into trouble. Uh, Some of those things were going to provide ammunition for the plots of the Jews and the others who were against him. Uh, Some of those things might not be the most popular things or, or win him the most friends, but he didn't hold back anything that he thought was profitable or helpful for the people there, the, the saints that God was calling in Ephesus.
0: You, you see the the fearlessness of Paul. He, he is not afraid of proclaiming the whole counsel of God. I think that that's a helpful reminder to to pastors and to the Christian church as a whole, that we have this whole counsel of God, and, and it's perhaps easy sometimes to get stuck on things that we really like to talk about or we really want to talk about, uh, but it's always good to Give everything that is profitable, and and I think that's a again a helpful reminder of what Paul writes about the word of God in his second letter to Timothy that that all of Scripture is profitable. This is what God has given us His word for, is to to profit us for our good. And Paul reminds them, I did that among you. I gave you that profitable teaching from the Lord in His word,
1: right? And not necessarily things they didn't need to hear. You know, that's right. that's part of it as well. Uh, I think this is something that. Sometimes I struggle with as a, as a missionary, you want to dump as much as you can on people as soon as you can, you know, and uh, that's not always helpful. You know, you, you got to walk before you can run. You got to uh, drink a little milk before you can get down to the meat. But it, it right. you know, Paul and his wisdom uh, always was declaring what was profitable and, and maybe not worrying about the, the things that weren't necessarily going to be helpful to the people in
0: Ephesus. Sure. Yeah, that, I think that is that is that is a helpful comment that you know it is not just a an information dump here's absolutely everything I know but but here is what you need to know right now. And part of the the task of a pastor is to to deliver what what the people need at the moment. And and certainly the desire is to teach as, as much as the pastor knows. I mean it's part of the delight of studying the scriptures. As a pastor, and, and hopefully as every any Christian, is that when we find, you know, something in the Word of God that benefits us, we do want to share that. But to do so in a way that is helpful is is always the challenge, no doubt, right, no doubt.
1: Right, and not to do it just to be smart, right? Uh, That's right. You know, but to do it in a way that actually is benefit of a benefit to to the hearers, to the person, to them
0: yes, yes, and 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 certainly Paul stands as a as an example of that, and and as a reminder, you know, he spent. Well, he, he says it in this very address. He, he was there for three years, right. which gave him the time to do precisely that, to to decide and, and, you know, listen to the people there in Ephesus and then give them the word of God that was appropriate for the time. But again, not being afraid when that word was difficult for them, still not being afraid to go ahead and speak it because it is the word of God and it is therefore profitable.
1: Right. And it's not going to be necessarily the same for everyone, Right. There might be someone, like I said, Miletus was a home of this philosophical school. And so you might have had people that were really steeped in, in Greek philosophy. You might have had people that were really wealthy and well-educated in other ways. Uh, you might have had also very common and humble people. And so you're not necessarily delivering the message to them in the same way or the same content, necessarily, but you're giving them the same message, which is what he, what he says you know, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was teaching that in public and from house to house. And so you can imagine him going from house to house. And, and I know that, you know, when you do a, a visit uh, in a house, when you're teaching in a house or a home Bible study, it's not necessarily going to be the same in, in every house. It depends on the household. And, and Paul, I think, was uh, very mindful of that and, and worked tirelessly to deliver the gospel to people in a way that they could understand.
0: Yeah, and, and again, a reminder that Ephesus is a, a pretty important city within the whole region. And so Paul's time in Ephesus, I don't know that we need to confine him to that particular city that whole time, right. but to allow him you know, journeys outward in, in that ministry for three years, such that he would have been intersecting with a, a whole lot of different people in different situations, giving the Word of God, as you said, both, and as Paul says, both in public and from house to house. And to, I mean, that still is a part of the pastoral ministry today: is to speak publicly, but also then to, to minister to people in their individual needs. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, he even says it in verse eighteen. He doesn't talk about Ephesus; he talks about Asia, the province of mm-hmm. in, in which Ephesus is. And we know from other places in Acts and from the Pauline letters that there there were other churches that were planted at that same time in the province. And so yeah, he was working it's kind pretty similar to what we're doing here, you know, we're working in the the capital, but we're using this as a base to to plant churches within in the interior of, of Uruguay as well. So that, you know, we're just stealing what Paul did.
0: That's right. That's, the, well, that's the plan. That, you know, that's the idea. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. So in in verse uh, 21, we get one of the we talked about how there's a lot of doctrine within this text. And in in verse 21, Paul tells us what he was doing. He was testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, particularly of two things, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying about his his ministry there?
1: That's law and gospel, right? You know, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, calling sinners to repentance and giving repentant sinners Uh, the Lord Jesus and all that he has, has done for us, you know, his righteousness and, and his sacrifice for us. So that, that's what he's saying. And that's that, that really is that whole counsel of God that he refers to later, you know, that, that it's, it's law and gospel.
0: So, talk a little bit about law and gospel. Those are, are terms that are very, I think, familiar to us as Lutherans. We we use them a lot. What what is meant by law and gospel? How does I mean, how does this text function say within the Lutheran confessions? Why is this such an important thing for Christians?
1: Sure, it, this text is cited twice in our Lutheran confessions, uh, which is odd for a, once again for a text from Acts, uh, right. w- which doesn't really establish too much doctrine. It's a history text right but it is brought up specifically when talks about law and gospel because uh, in this same text he talks about the gospel uh, kind of as his entire teaching which we would say is gospel in the, the wide sense which includes all of the teachings of Christ uh, includes all of the teaching of the Word of God. And so you, you can say the gospel and, and Jesus can say something like, repent, the, you know, the, he came to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is repent for the kingdom of God is near, right? And, and it's the whole teaching of God. But then we also make a distinction between these two primary doctrines of the scriptures, which are in tension with one another, the law where God demands of us and tells us his will for us which functions primarily to show that we cannot fulfill God's will and God's law the way that he demands it, and the gospel, which shows us what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law in our place and and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so those are the two main doctrines of scripture. And in our Lutheran confessions, they talk about this very, Passage from Acts twenty because Paul uses the word gospel to mean the whole teaching of Christianity really, and he also uses it in a more narrow sense. We say uh, to mean specifically the what God has done for us in Jesus
0: right yeah and in verse 21 it's the word repentance that also gets used in its in its most narrow sense there with right. repentance and then faith right so you you see both of those within this this one text why why is the and I I think it's probably both Luther and Walter talk this way why is this distinction between law and gospel such a particularly glorious light that that we need to understand the scriptures
1: well if you mix the two or misunderstand the two or try to change the one into the other, you really lose the whole thing. If you add human works to the gospel, then it's really no gospel. It's not good news for us. It's not good news if if it's Jesus did ninety percent and we have to do ten, right? Because we can't do the ten. Uh, you know, so, and then if you if you mix the gospel into the law, if the law, as as Walter said, is not preached with its full sternness, then we listen to the law and we think hey we can handle that you know that it's not that big a deal we we turn it into a, a sort of legalism like the pharisees had where it, it becomes purely external or we imagine that we're we're really obeying god's law and we put our trust not in god and his grace but in our own works and so it's it's it, this is something Distinct to Lutheranism, I think it's a great treasure of the Lutheran Church and specifically the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that we have such a high view or a high uh, teaching of the distinction between law and gospel. Because I've I seen this in my ministry both here and back in the United States of people who were very sincere Christians but were badly taught or wrongly taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, and confused about law and gospel and, and so didn't have the peace that the gospel, the true gospel really offers us because they were tied up in in works and so that's why it's so important and when we have that distinction between law and gospel and we understand the use of the law to, to show us our sin, then we appreciate even more and understand more and have more peace and freedom when we hear, the gospel that shows us our savior.
0: Yeah. This this really is a, a beautiful teaching. And and I, I'm right with you that this is something that I'm so glad we have this high regard for this distinction. Because you you can, I mean you and I know you've seen it too, that where, where someone has been that the, the distinction hasn't been there. There's been that commingling of the two and and the law always kind of takes over when that happens. And when someone hears for that first time that know that the law, you you leave it over there, and your salvation is is entirely complete and certain and done in Jesus Christ, you can just see the burden lifting off of their shoulders. It it, it is a beautiful thing, and it really does open up the scriptures. and And the thing I love about you know a, a text like this is that it it is a reminder that it this matter of law and gospel isn't something that we're sort of arbitrarily putting upon the scriptures, but it is drawn from the scriptures. This is the way Paul did his ministry. And, and this is drawn straight from the Lord Jesus himself. I mean, the the words that Paul uses here sound very much like the way Jesus speaks at the end of the Luke's gospel in Luke 24, where he opens his disciples' minds and he tells them that the scriptures are, are all about him, his death and his resurrection, and for therefore this preaching, for the preaching of repentance and faith. And so to, to have this treasure of law and gospel, I mean, it is a gift from Christ and it really is just such a, a beautiful and ultimately comforting thing definitely so with that we will go ahead and take our break you're listening to sharper iron here on kfuo we're talking acts chapter 20 with pastor james sharp we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, June 20th. We're studying Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38 with Pastor James Sharp. He serves through the LCMS Office of International Mission as pastor, teacher, and missionary in Montevideo, Uruguay. Pastor Sharp, we left off with verse 22 in the text, which is where Paul begins a bit of a transition. He's been summarizing his ministry up to that point there in Ephesus. And then in verse 22, he starts to talk about where he's headed. He's going to Jerusalem. What does Paul say as the text continues into verse 22?
1: He says, now I'm going to Jerusalem. And he says uh, this text, constrained by the Spirit. Uh, the, the word really means like bound up or tied or, or figuratively compelled. So the, the Spirit is pushing him towards Jerusalem, even though Paul probably knew that it wasn't a really good idea, humanly speaking, to go back there. Uh, but he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to serve Christ in this way. And, and he mentions that everywhere he goes, people are telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. This is going to happen. Bad things are going to happen to you. Uh, and, you know, he says in verse 23, I don't know what's going to happen to me, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So every city he goes to, uh, there are prophets, uh, the office of prophet, probably, in the churches and they all have this prophetic word from the Holy Spirit that this is what's going to happen when you go to Jerusalem. You're going to be imprisoned and you're going to be afflicted and bad things are going to happen to you. But he feels compelled by the Spirit to go forward and to do that.
0: Mm. We talked a little bit about in the previous text how Paul's ministry at this point starts to mirror what happens to Jesus, particularly again in the Gospel of Luke, how in Luke's gospel Jesus, you know, sets his face toward Jerusalem, and then there's that focus on his journey to Jerusalem in the middle, like ten chapters of the gospel, and and something similar seems to be going on with Paul here, that you know he knows that something bad is going to happen to him, humanly speaking, when he gets to Jerusalem, and yet he he's he's headed there no matter what. That's where he's headed, and you you see a little bit of of similarity. What's the what's the point in emphasizing that with the Ephesian elders? Why do they need to know this? What's going on in, in Paul's trip toward Jerusalem.
1: Well, he says after that, he explains it, he, he does this because he's not worried about his life. He's worried about fulfilling his ministry, right? Mm. And that's what he's trying to leave with them. He's trying to press upon them that they fulfill their ministry, that they do the work to which they've been called. And, and so that that's why he's he's saying that look it's the holy spirit that's sending me into this i know it's not going to be great i know that i'm going to face imprisonment and affliction i know that i could very very well face death but i'm not worried about my life i'm worried about as he says finishing my course Uh, the ministry that i received from the lord jesus testifying the gospel the grace of god so that's you know if you're leaving uh, a ministry and and leaving behind people that are going to take your place Isn't that what you would want, that they have the same desire to share the gospel, the same desire to fulfill their ministry the way that you did, since you won't be able to be there anymore? So that's that. Once again, he he's kind of using his personal example as a way to be a model for the pastors in Ephesus
0: yeah I mean, it's, you can you can hear just about any faithful pastor wanting to say something like this when he you know whether he's he's going to a new congregation because he's taken a call or because he's retiring, especially with with this verse, you know where he, he says, look, i I've in my ministry here, I've tried to put above all else the preaching of the gospel. hold on to that. and and in that way, as much as Paul uses his own ministry as an example, it's really not about his example, but it's about what he gave them. That's what he's encouraging them to hold on to. Not so much what he did, but the thing that he gave them, the, the gospel.
1: Right. The, the, not him personally, Paul, like, look how great I am, uh, but how he served Jesus by delivering the gospel to these people tirelessly uh, all over the province of Asia, and that this is the fruit of his work. And he wants to see that they have fruit for their work, for their ministry as well.
0: Now, in in verse twenty-five, then things get to seem pretty emotional here, which I think makes sense. What what do we start to see? How does Paul begin to open up his heart here even more in verse twenty-five?
1: Yeah, it's this is I I can imagine him getting choked up a little bit when he says this. Yeah, you know, now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's hardcore. I mean, that's, that's really wild, you know, to, to say that after spending so much time with these people, uh, to be very intimate, you know, teaching them, uh, ministering to them, teaching them the gospel, uh, teaching them how to be pastors, uh, raising them up into that office. And now saying, you'll never see me again. So this yeah, this is that, definitely the 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 emotional high point or, or the the emotional cornerstone of this speech of, of his farewell
0: speech. Yeah, and 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 Saint Luke tells us at the end when things are wrapping up that this is what causes them sorrow because he's he's talked about this. They they share. I mean, it's it's a mutual love and affection that Paul has for these Ephesian elders. It's it's back at him as well that that this brings them sorrow too and it's it's not hard to imagine you know there are no dry eyes in the room at this point st paul himself becoming a little bit choked up maybe perhaps even a little bit of a pause there as everyone tries to compose themselves at the end of verse 25 and then paul you know he comes gathers himself yet again and says therefore what what's the conclusion that this maybe seems a little bit wait a second where where'd this come from yeah
1: it gets all uh, soft and mushy and emotional maybe and then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> oh by the way i am innocent of your blood you know i'm innocent right. of the blood of all you know which it, what he's saying is he he is a faithful watchman he is echoing the words uh, from ezekiel 33 you know and if you proclaim this word then the people don't listen then it's their blood is on their own head right Uh, And he has done that as a faithful watchman. He has proclaimed the saving word of God to all, to Greeks and to Jews, uh, to all over the province. And if they don't believe, if they reject that word that they've heard, their blood is on their own head. He is innocent of that blood. He has done his work. He has... uh, preach the gospel to all people, because he, as he says, and then he continues in verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, everything uh, that needed to be heard in order to be saved, the, the law that shows us our sin, that, that teaches us that we can't fulfill uh, God's law the way that, that he demands of us, and therefore we need a Savior, and that gospel message of grace through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, and so he gave them everything. He gave them this whole counsel of God, and therefore he is innocent of the blood. And, and he doesn't mean uh, blood. He means blood as as life, but not just this life. He means eternal life. He is he is innocent. He has done what he was called to do to, to bring the message of God to people so that they could be saved through faith in it.
0: Hmm. And then in verse 28, this is where, I think verse 28 in my mind is the one that I I remember the most from this speech, and perhaps it is because of what it says about the pastoral office. This is really where the rubber hits the road. As he's leaving, what are the Ephesian elders to do? This is really where, here, here it is. Here's the charge to these faithful men. There's a lot here in verse 28. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, it, there is a lot here in verse 28. The, uh, I think... First of all, uh, it's this point that he wants them to pay careful attention, right? Um, That he has been careful, he has been diligent. Uh, The word I keep using is tireless. He gives that, you know, he has kept working and working and working. And he wants them to have that same attitude. And so they need to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers and to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Every one of those phrases is so full of theological goodness uh, that, uh, you know, we could probably spend an hour just on, on one of those phrases. One of the reasons I think this sounds so familiar is it's also very, very, uh, similar to, uh, Peter when he talks about, you know, as, as a, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder be shepherds of the flock. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. And so we have that same kind of repetition and this is very important to us. I think as, as Missouri said, Lutherans too, because this helps us to understand the office of the ministry, because here Paul is saying, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves, right, but to the flock, so he's using that shepherding imagery, uh, you know, like a pastor, uh, mm-hmm. in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and that word overseer is the word episkopos, uh, which is traditionally translated as bishop, and then that word to care uh, literally is to herd or to tend or to lead to pastor or shepherd, so shepherd the flock, or all the flock, really, which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops. so And he's talking to elders. So those terms, elder, bishop, pastor, are all used interchangeably for the one office of the holy ministry that God established, as we say in our confessions, to give the gospel to people. And that's exactly what Paul's been doing. And that's exactly what Paul wants these Ephesians elders to do after he departs. Uh, So... You know, it's, it's weird how this just sums up so much in, in one little phrase there. And then he gets to the end and it says to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, with the blood of God. And that is a deep theological statement too, because now we're getting into, well, God doesn't have blood, God is spirit, right? But in Christ, as, as God took on human flesh in Christ, we can say it is the blood of God, which was shed on the cross. And, and you know, that gets into some Christological things. Uh, it, it's a really awesome statement. And and I, you know, it, it it kind of blows my mind when I'm reading that and I, you know, I that this is something that Paul is just obviously Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Paul is just saying this like off the cuff. You know, he he didn't look this up in a doctrinal textbook or something like that. He didn't do a you know a, a word study or anything like that to get ready for this. This is just him speaking from his heart, and out of his heart, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, comes this amazing, amazing phrase where you know this is the Church of God. He's made you overseers. It's the church of God that he obtained with his own blood.
0: Mm. Uh, it really is a, a marvelous, just sentence, one sentence right there. And and the way that you know Paul weaves together, when, when, when we study doctrine, which is a scary word for some, it really shouldn't. Doctrine just means teaching. Right. When we think about the teaching of the Holy Scripture, sometimes we do categorize things. We put things together for the sake of studying it more easily. And so, for example, when he, he talks about what's happening with the church and the role of the pastor within the church. These are maybe you could say third article realities. The Holy spirit is the one who gathers the church. And then when you have the blood of God, that maybe is a second article reality. use you, you use the term Christology. And yet, I mean, just the way that Paul weaves them seamlessly together is, is so beautiful that, that they do all go together, that who Christ is, what he has done for us by his blood which is divine blood calls us together as the church the holy spirit does that and he he gives us pastors to to watch out for us to give us the word of god and all these things are just coming together here in, in verse 28 it's it's such a beautiful thing perhaps to to take that that last phrase you know his own blood which given the way that the sentence goes has to be i think god's blood Right. Why? Why is that such a significant thing to say?
1: Well, because the the Jews didn't believe that God could have blood, right? Uh, that the God God was spirit, God was uh, e- eternal, God was outside of us, right? And it, it's such a uh, radical thought—the uh, incarnation—that. In God, uh, in Christ, God was taking on human nature. And that included all that makes us human, including blood. And so anything we can say now about Jesus, we can say about God because Jesus is God. And, And so, you know, we can say crazy things like the Ancient of Days was 12 years old right? Um, we can yeah. say God who is spirit and not flesh uh, has blood and shed his blood uh, in in Christ. So anything we can say about Jesus, we can say about God because Jesus is God. And, and this is a great example uh, of that, that this this divine blood uh, saves us. It's similar to what uh, the apostle John says in first John, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all and, our sin only the divine blood of jesus could cleanse the world from sin right uh the the isaac watts hymn you know not not all the blood of beasts on israel's altars slain right uh it it took the one sacrifice that is of infinite value and you can only have that infinite value by in the divine blood of jesus
0: yeah. Yeah. Peter, Peter talked about, he, he was preaching to the Jews in Acts chapter three, and he said, you killed the author of life. Right. A, another similar thing. Paul uses the same language. It's the same, same idea that, that he's able to say that this is God's own blood. And that is a, a great comfort to us, that it is the divine blood that has brought us salvation, cleansed us from our sin. As St. John says, we, as you said, Pastor Sharp, we could meditate upon these words all day. <sighs> but we're going to continue okay. so that we do get to, to to take a look at the rest of what Paul says. In verse 29, then, he, you know, he's given them the command, pay attention, be careful. And he mentions danger starting in verse 29. What are the dangers that he sees for these Ephesian elders?
1: Well, going going along with the shepherding imagery, right? He, he says that I know after my departure, dangerous wolves will come in among you. Uh, and that certainly did happen after Paul left. And we know that because Paul talks about it in Uh, First and second Timothy, he mentions that uh, lots of people uh, had turned away uh, and that even among you, he says in verse 30, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. So some elders, it seems like as well. And Paul uh, makes reference to that. He said in, in typical Pauling fashion, uh, Paul tends to be uh, kind of hyperbolic sometimes, and he says everyone in Asia has turned away from me. Well, we know, thankfully, uh, from some some later letters that not everyone had turned away from him, or at least uh, thanks thanks to some of the uh, faithful preaching that that eventually the people that went astray w- came back. But this really did happen, and and it happened in other places as well. It's perfectly reasonable to. You don't. You don't have to be an apostle to know that uh, the wolves will come out once the the pastor is gone, and so he wants them to be strong as the wolves come, including wolves in sheep clothing. Unfortunately, people from within the church, and that that's a struggle that we still have today. That a lot of times it's the attacks from within the church where the enemy is doing more damage to us than the attacks from outside the church. It's very really easy to. A hold up a, a wall or a common defense against attacks that come from outside the church, but it's the ones from uh, within the church that are really the more dangerous. And so he, he says, you know, the, the wolves will come. They won't spare the flock. The, these men will speak twisted things. They'll draw disciples away after them. And so be alert. And now, once again, he says, you know, he's using his example of his ministry. Remember, for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You know, and he's using tears again to show his sincerity. You know, to show how how much he poured into this ministry of of admonishing and teaching them, of warning them, of instructing them uh, with tears. It, it was an intense. Instruction and intense warning, and he never stopped it. And now they can't ever stop warning their flocks about the wolves who are seeking their destruction.
0: And then in verse thirty-two, he begins to bring this address to a conclusion. And this, I I think, is so important that he commends them to God and and to God's word. I mean, what a what greater care could the the apostle Paul leave them in than in the care of the Lord Himself and His word?
1: Right. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. You know, to the gospel, right, Uh, that he has planted there in Ephesus. No one can stay there forever. Uh, The apostles stayed for a while and then moved on. Some of them uh, stayed for a while and then were martyred. Uh, They are mortal men. They would all pass away sooner or later, but the apostles' teaching, the gospel word, the word of God's grace remains and is passed on through the church to continue to deliver this inheritance as, as he says uh, to the people of god the uh, forgiveness of sins and eternal life uh, to those whom god calls to be sanctified by this word and it, it, he is delivering it now to these elders who will carry it on and it's that teaching of the word of god's grace that will continue to be delivered down through the ages as the inheritance of the children of God.
0: Now the speech of Paul then concludes with one final example from his own ministry. Particularly, you've been using the word tirelessly, the hard work of Paul. That includes his hard work in the ministry and also the hard work in which he supported himself. How does how does he wrap things up? And he even gives us a, a quote from some words of Jesus here.
1: Yeah, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, he says uh, that's his way of saying that he took care of himself, you know, the original tent making ministry. That's why we call it tent making ministry, right? Because uh, Paul made tents and sold them and that was how he supported his ministry so that he would not have to depend on anyone so that no one could have any sort of Anger, or you know, oh, that Paul—he uh, he's always asking for money, or you know, Paul's always staying, okay. you know, late after dinner and eating all the leftovers and stuff like that. You know, okay. I, I, the, the the things that you can say, uh, and I think you know, you've been a pastor for a while, and you probably heard some of these things. It, 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 these things can get in the way and he didn't want he knew he had a a relatively short time and he didn't want anything to get in the way of his ministry and so even though as he says uh, himself you know that that those who who work in the gospel should make their living by the gospel he although he had a right to that chose not to take that right among them so that there would not be anything to distract them from his message And so, you know, he says, you yourselves know that these hands and you can you can kind of see him raising his hands up and showing them Mm -hmm. like the calluses from sewing these these tents and stuff. You know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me because, you know, he had his his folks Mm -hmm. uh, with him. It wasn't just Paul. And so he reminds them again how hard he worked. And specifically, he reminds them how he didn't depend on anybody but himself for. Uh, his support during this time so that uh, he could uh, give them the gospel purely. And this is something in in my ministry here, I think that is uh, helpful as well. You know, we're uh, supported by our our network of of supporters in the United States. And so I can honestly say to people here that I'm not getting paid a dime from anything that we, we, receive in, in offerings here in Uruguay because Uruguayans, it's a very secular country and they are very suspicious of the institutional church. And so when we can say, well, our pastors aren't being paid from these offerings, we're using these offerings to support this, you know, this, have this place here. We use our offerings to, to do these works of mercy and stuff like that. It's important because when people are suspicious of the motives behind your, Proclamation, you know your religious beliefs. Uh, it, it's a, a really big barrier, and Paul eliminates that. You know, there the, in in this time in the Roman Empire, there were so many competing religions and competing cults, uh, some of which were kind of like Scientology. That you know, they they basically charged money to get through the various levels of the religion and here comes paul and he doesn't ask for anything from anyone Uh, he takes care of it himself so that uh, people would understand the gospel and not worry about paul and he he says uh, i think it's it's really neat here to sum up all the various weird things in this text he says i've shown you by working hard in this way to help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive, which are not words of Jesus recorded in the Gospels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's something that Jesus must have said. It sounds like something Jesus would say, uh, and it's consistent with his, Jesus' preaching, uh, but it's not something that, that was recorded in the Gospels. It's evidently something that, that had been shared and that Paul reminded them that Jesus had said. know it's more blessed to give than to receive and i think that's a very important point for pastors uh, and for christians in general uh, that because god's love for us and jesus is sacrificial uh, one of the ways we show christian love is with a sacrificial love that doesn't look to what we are going to get but looks in how we can be generous with who we are with what we have and share that with others in need.
0: Pastor Sharp, we have about two minutes left on the morning. The text concludes, St. Luke gives us more narrative as to how Paul takes his leave of these Ephesian elders. Uh, Take us into those verses, help us to wrap things up this morning.
1: When he said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. He gives his farewell speech, he summarizes his ministry, and then When there's nothing else for him to say when he has to leave he kneels down and he commends them to god in prayer and uh, luke says there was much weeping on the part of all and so we see here that it wasn't just one-sided it wasn't paul really loved these people and they were like well paul you're okay i suppose but they they also really loved him and so they, they wept, wept, I guess we say in English, sorry. Uh, they wept as well and they hugged him and they kissed him. And it says they were sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. You know, and it's oh, no. it's one thing saying goodbye. It's another thing saying goodbye and knowing you're never going to see each other again. And that's what they believed. Uh, you know, that they would never see Paul again. And so they accompanied to the ship, it says, uh, and in the ruins of Miletus, there's a monument that the Romans put up and there were steps down into the, uh, into the port and you can still go there. It's inland now because the the bay is filled up with silt, uh, but you can still go there and, and know that this is where the Ephesian elders said goodbye to to Paul. he walked, They walked down these steps as they accompanied him to the ship. And he got on the ship and he continued on his way. To So after he had said all of these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them and all it says. And so he has finished this long discourse. He has given them his farewell speech. He has summarized his ministry for them. And now he commends them to God in prayer. And we see here, that the relationship that Paul had with the Ephesian elders was not one-sided. Paul loved them and cared about them. And we see in how they weep as well, that they loved him and cared about him too. And so it says there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him and being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, they would not see his face again. And there's one thing to say goodbye and know that you're probably going to see someone again. And, you know, we have to say goodbye every couple of years when we um, go home for home service, but we have the hope that, Lord willing, we will see one another again. But when you know that you're not going to, uh, that's a, a very different thing. That's a very emotional thing, and that's what they were suffering there. And so they they it says they accompanied it to their ship, and in the ruins of Miletus today, it's it's uh, inland now. The the bay filled up with, with silt. Uh, but there's still a, a ruin of a monument that was erected during Roman times that was kind of above the beach where the port was. And there were these steps down to the port and to the beach where the ships would come up. And you can still go there today in, in Turkey. And uh, this, these are the steps that they would have accompanied him by to the ship. Uh, You know, as they walked down all the way to the ship to say, say goodbye. And I remember when, uh, you know, when I was little uh, before before 9-11, I guess I wasn't that little, but you, when you could go meet people at the, at the gate in the airport, you know, or you would walk Mm -hmm. down to the gate to them in the airport and and see them leave, you know, and wait until you you watch them go down the jetway and everything. Um, because you just didn't want them to, to leave. And that's how they were. They just didn't want him to leave, but they accompanied him all the way they could. And Paul got in the boat and he continued on his way to Jerusalem.
0: Pastor James Sharp serves as pastor, teacher, and missionary in Montevideo, Uruguay, helping us today with Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. Pastor Sharp, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 20, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.